Are your glasses blue as well? Yes. Ah, oh, we're the we blue glasses. We have bold blue glasses and I love this for us. I feel like I just am leaning into like my diva, you know, celebby self. Like I'm coming up in. for leaning into my yeah, diva. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Just like coming in with sunglasses like yesterday. And welcome to another episode of Are You Sitting Uncomfortably with me, Gemma Greaves. This is the podcast that features courageous storytellers who are comfortable with getting uncomfortable. And in my prickly chair today is the true change maker that is Colette Phillip. With over 20 years experience building powerful strategies for brands, Colette is the founder of multi-award winning brand and strategy consultancy, Brand By Me, who were named Small Business of 2021 by Lloyds Bank and The Times. Brand By Me harnesses the power of strategic thinking and works with organizations to embed anti-racism, drive equity and tackle injustice. In her own words, throughout my life and career, I have faced discrimination due to my race and gender and I will not tolerate or accept it. Amen to that. I can't wait to delve deeper into this. Colette is also a celebrated writer and speaker, having featured in Third Sector, Forbes and BBC Radio 4. And she was one of campaigns 40 over 40 this year. Married to Lucas and dog mum to Nesta, she has recently rediscovered her musical passion and has started singing in her local choir. Here's hoping we'll get a quick verse later. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm like, no one wants to hear that. There's a reason why I'm part of a choir, like multiple voices rather than just on my own. I am not the soloist. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, Colette, are you sitting uncomfortably? Yes. <laughs> I think that's fair to say yes. I'm slightly apprehensive for what's going to come, so. That's a good thing. Yeah, I know. Love it. So I'm going to dive right in. What makes you uncomfortable? That's a really good question. Because I may have said, like, not much, because part of my role is about leaning into discomfort. So I don't, lots of things don't make me uncomfortable. But I think, I've never really admitted this, being around groups, particularly large groups of, or in spaces occupied by groups of very privileged white people still makes me uncomfortable. I do it. I have to. It's part of my work and job. I have to in the industry that we're in. But it does make me uncomfortable. And where do you think that that stems from? So I think, and and actually, yeah, I I should, yeah, it's not an easy thing to admit, but I think it's important And I think, you know, where it stems from, obviously, is structural racism and structural oppression. Those spaces are not designed for people who look like me to be in and have been designed to keep me out of and keep people that look like me out of it. So it's not surprising that I will feel discomfort in them. But on a personal level, when I go into those spaces, it really catapults me back to like being a kid. I was thinking about this and I I grew up in Luton, which is a very multicultural town, and I went to school locally and then when I was 11 I I did the 11 plus exam and I went to a private school on a scholarship and government assisted place and walking in there and sitting down on the first day and realizing I was the only black girl in my class but more more than than that I had a specific accent and I just didn't 
immediately didn't fit in. And then the looks when you sit down and people are like, kind of, what are you doing here? That's exactly how it feels walking into these spaces. It's still the same. There's a hostility or people looking at you or even saying to you, oh, you don't look like a strategist, for example, or whatever. So that being in those spaces just catapults me back to like that first day of um, senior school or even before that. Actually, I remember going on holiday to... I'm going to say Bournemouth and I was about eight and I went with my mum and my dad and, and my brother. It was before my sister came along, so my brother and we went. I was really excited. It was a seaside trip and we were walking down a road and out of nowhere, we were suddenly surrounded by this massive group of about 30 skinheads, you know, with shaven heads and like National Front type supporters, all sort of just surrounding, threatening and kind of shoving us out of nowhere and, you know, a parents and their two kids just out of nowhere kind of shoving and then and then Actually being physically told, shoving yeah including me shoving me my, my dad kind of grabbed onto me shoving us all and then one of them like shoving past and going get out you know that's what I remember as oh. a kid and I was like eight but you contrast the very overt violence of that but equally the hostility and violence of the kind of insidious looks and sort of, oh, you don't belong here and people kind of ignoring you or, you know, assuming that you're whatever, one of the, the staff or whatever. And of course, they're different, but they're similar. So when you said what makes you uncomfortable, of course, when you go into a space like that, and, and to be clear, it's not all spaces with white people. I need to be clear about this. Like my husband's white. That would be a bit awkward, wouldn't it? Um, be awkward right specific. now. <laughs> be awkward right now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be. It would be really awkward. It would make my job very difficult as well if this was like... But there is certain spaces, or it's certain spaces where you walk in and there's super wealth and privilege and a very specific type of space and then there's a specific way that people sort of look at me and will sort of look you up and down or make you feel or they look surprised. Or then when you're talking to people as people are sort of asking you where you're from, but then they're insisting and you're like, when you say, oh, just, a, you know, I'm, I'm from like Hitchin, Hertfordshire is where I live now. Uh, they're like, no, and they kind of insist and they probe and it's and then they are surprised when you tell them what you do. I'm chair of trustees at a charity. You're the chair of the charity or whatever. Whatever it is, if I'm a major donor's reception, it's all this sort of thing. That's the sort of space. And, you know, and me, you know, big old 45-year-old woman who runs my own agency still feels uncomfortable in that sort of space. And I go, once I feel uncomfortable, I'm also made to feel uncomfortable in that space. Those spaces were, to be clear again, built to exclude people who look like me this happened a lot. I used to work at Bernardo's, the children's charity. I was assistant director of comms and we'd go to certain receptions and people would assume I'm the intern. One of, oh, are you one of the children that, you know, is like, a, a, I hate this word, beneficiary of the charity that happened, that sort of thing. And it's like, okay, so you can only be in this space if it's charity. You don't belong, but we'll let you in. But it's obviously charitable. Are you here? Because, you know, exactly that, that sort of power dynamic thing. And I hate admitting that because I'm like, you know, one, I'm big, grown, founder, done all this stuff, 20 years. You read the bio. Like, I, I'm like, you Impressive. Know, yes, thank you. You are. So I should not be feeling. But the, the discomfort is real. It's still there. And when I say this, it's not a past thing. I can guarantee that in the next 
few months, I will go into a space and I'll feel exactly that same way again. But I mean, I can relate to what you just said, because when I was chief exec of the Marketing Society, I had on more than one occasion, several occasions, people assuming I was one of the marketing managers, which is which is great and a, a lovely role. But they would say to me things like, oh, it's, it's lovely to meet you, but I really need to meet the chief exec. Nice. <laughs> Nice. And it was because yeah. I didn't look like yeah. what they expected a chief exec. I wore jeans, I wore boots, I've got long dark hair. And I was like that. But expressly this, isn't it? We, we talked about it and we'll say it again. Those spa- I had it, like I had a, a mentoring session. Even today I had a mentoring session through Wackle, right? So I had one of my Wackle mentoring sessions that I'm doing. And um, we were talking on that session about... Um, imposter syndrome and I hate imposter syndrome as in not obviously not just the feeling of I hate the way it's framed because it's framed as this thing where it's like oh it's in your head oh as a woman it's because of you women lack confidence no let's be clear about this it is entirely not in our heads it is a very astute perception that we are entering a, a space that is not made for us because of patriarchy in this case or because of patriarchy and sexism because of, you know, in a case of my two intersections because of racism and sexism. These these systems were deliberately built to exclude. They were deliberately built to advantage white men. So, of course, you as chief exec coming into it, again, when you hear this stuff, it's not a, a funny, oh, I just laugh it off, it's a funny um, coincidence. Of course it is, that's hilarious. But equally, there's something underneath it which is very, is deep and we have to recognise it for the system of oppression that it is. We have to recognise that and go, actually, to be clear. And, and I would say, you know, the marketing society, I remember this is many years ago, like, I don't know, 15, 17 years ago, I went to a marketing society dinner and it's weird, like, the assumptions made about who's in power and who has the power, who doesn't, who's senior and who isn't. And on that basis, so, I, and I, you know, and it, yeah, it, it happens all the time. So, of course, you said, like, that happened to you because you're a woman and you look young as well. And so Thank you look you. like that. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you look young. You're, yeah, exactly. Blue glasses, it's amazing. Like, yeah, no, and all of Ole. 100% this right. But it is true, You that happens because... You're a woman in this case. When it ha- when me, because I'm a woman, yes, I'm black. For ages, I would never speak this. And then I remember when I worked in advertising, sometimes you'd, I might slight to, you know, if I was speaking to somebody that was a friend or someone I felt, you know, very safe with. Uh, and not any of my, I will say, not any of my best or good friends and like people that, not that, but like maybe a colleague that's, you know, a friendly colleague, I might say it. And immediately they say, oh, no, I don't think it's that. And they immediately dismiss it. And you're like, I don't think... It, you can dismiss that. But then equally, some people would say, oh, I, I don't think that's because of race, though. They might say, oh, no, I get that too. And I'm like, yeah, you do get it too. It's right, because we do, because this is about patriarchy. But we have to, as a black woman, I've got to then add the layer of race on top yeah. of this. Yeah. And these are layers. So when we talk about like intersectionality, these things layer out. So, of course, for me, black woman, it's worse. If I was queer, so if I was from the LGBTQIA plus communities, it would be worse. Yeah. If I was disabled, disabled, that would be worse. Like it would be, you you can see, and it's not, this is not a sort of competition between those those aspects. It's just noting that when we have systems of oppression and they layer up, it's going to be different yeah. some and undoubtedly worse. Yeah. But I have to be clear, it's spaces of privilege and not every space with white people is a space of privilege. There are some very certain avenues and there are very some certain spaces that are like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And um, and it's it's interesting you say that about the dinner years ago, because something that we recognised over the years was our audience was very pale. Mm. And dare I say it, over the years, quite male as well. Yeah, and that yeah. was something that we wanted to change. I promise you it's not like that now. I'm no, not there anymore, yeah, yeah. but um, it's, it's quite different. As are other organisations. I remember when I joined a certain women's organisation. Yeah. Um, the one that we're both members the of. The one that perhaps. we're both yeah. members of. Mm-hmm. And it felt very different to what I see it today which I'm really pleased to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It was very different to my expectation, actually. I have to be honest, like, I, <laughs> when I was asked to join, I just was like, no. It wasn't even a question. I was like, no, not for me, no, no. And then a friend of mine who's also a member of this said, said club rang me and was like, no, you need to because I'm joining and we need to join together. Yeah. We're going to do this and it'll be really nice for us and we need to do it. And then we, and, and it can be both of us. And that friend is also a black woman. So we were like, okay. So I was like, okay. So just to be clear, we're talking about WACL, which is the Women in Advertising, Communication and Leadership, a brilliant organisation. I'm pr- very proud member of yeah. WACL. So when we go into WACL spaces, I observe that, of course, at once, there are spaces that are exactly what I thought would be and what maybe put me off. There are certain admittedly dwindling spaces like that. But what I hadn't expected was just the warmth. Like, it just is so gorgeous. And the amount of people I've met that are amazing, the, the kind of warmth of spaces. But the thing I also really love is that Wacker is a truly multi-generational space in a way that you don't get that. In mm. You just don't really get that. So you're meeting women at various stages of your career, even when you're sort of at, I guess, our level stage of career where you're like, okay, we're all C-suite and founders and we're leaders and we're this. And so, you know, we've, we've reached the peak of one career and then we're embarking on our next kind of stage of career. And you've still got multiple role models and stages for what comes next. Yeah. And I, in Wackel, it's like, no, there's just, it, it just opens you to lots of different possibilities just by the people you meet. And I think that's really awesome. And I love that. Yeah, it's, there's so many amazing, amazing ladies in Wackel that are just, you know, just yeah. heroes of mine. Yeah. But also what I love is giving back and mentoring. Yeah, and I really love that Being too. a role model but ourselves. This is, this is why the multi-generational thing becomes really important. If you can access information from people that have successfully been able to navigate these spaces on their own terms. So not people that have navigated these spaces by letting themselves become consumed. And therefore, for example, if you're as female leaders going, yes, well, I've navigated this by being one of the one of the guys. No, that's not that. Not that. That's not particularly helpful. Or a black person, for example, that's gone into a space and been like, well, you know, I just sort of pretend to be like one of them, really. That's not useful. But it is useful where you can see people that have gone in as themselves without losing who they are and are celebrated for it. I think that's super important. Yeah. And also talk about how it drives you hopefully more to to be yourself yeah. and to not try and change anything or adapt anything to be in these spaces. Because the very definition is, of creating a safe space is to be able to be your true self and encourage others to be their true selves. Yeah, 100% agree. I started, I I worked in advertising for like the first eight, nine years of my career and I've done some stuff for people of colour coming into the industry and the thing I've heard a lot is that people have lessened or hidden bits of themselves to like get ahead and get on. Like you hear about the code switching and stuff all the time. So code switching, changing the way you show up 
in order to fit a certain space. So in this case, changing bits of who you are in order to fit in with very white spaces. And I, I heard that and I, I was really reflecting on it. And I didn't, it wasn't something I'd ever thought about. And I was hearing it consistently by young people coming through and people, and my peers even. And I was thinking, I just, why have I not done that? And the big reason I've not done it is because, and I, and I was really so grateful for this. My first ever boss in advertising was Sarah Jenkins, who's like now. Amazing. Yeah, it's mm. amazing at Saatchi, right? Like MD or something, mm. super, super senior at Saatchi now. She was my first boss. And having her A, black woman as my first boss, and somebody as well that shows up just as herself with integrity and stuff. And I was like, actually... That was my role model for ages. I was then already established in showing up in that way. So then when I switched agencies and, and went to a place where actually, but maybe it might have been useful for me to maybe code switch or something, or, you know, it might have meant I got ahead quicker. I actually couldn't do it. And it was kind of in, indelible. And it, so it comes back to what you said, Gemma, about like, when we see people in these spaces living authentically as themselves, and this word authenticity is kind of thrown around a lot but it's really important here like you're showing up as yourself as your best self as you with your you know full values and your characteristics it is super powerful and you can't underestimate just the impact it has enduring because for me that was like the first two years of my career and that left a mark all the way through so at points where people and where people would give me feedback like that I I'd think people would give you feedback and I'm like that doesn't really sound like me and I'd realize they're just like peddling out some tired stereotype of what they think black women are. It's nothing to do with me. And I'd be like, that doesn't sound like me. Why are they, why are they saying that to me? That's not who I am. And I think, oh, no, of course, then you remember, you're like, okay, no, it's because I'm this, because I'm black. So it's, That must be really tiresome. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. It is exhausting. Mm. It is exhausting because it is, it's tiresome and it adds this weight. So on top of navigating your way through an industry that's really hard and very competitive, and then you've also got this added thing of, okay, having, you know, feedback is a gift. So it's really useful. <laughs> I always to get say that. I know, I love Until it's not. <laughs> oh, no, I have to. Sometimes like, I say it to myself like a mantra because when you, you know, when you're starting to get defensive because you're like, well, I don't like what someone said, you're like, no, feedback is a gift. What can it take? And, and then you're always, and sometimes that gift is, um, telling you that the person telling you it is 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 not someone you should listen to but whatever the gift is feedback is a gift but genuinely as long as delivered and, with positive intent but even even if it isn't sometimes it is a gift even if it tells you about the person you're giving it or it tells you about the organization that you're in or whatever there is something there there's always a, a, a gift in it when you're early on that feedback is a gift you need it to grow and develop totally so if you're getting super misleading feedback there's nothing to do with you know who you actually are and is about just somebody parroting out the angry black women stereotypes so then we seemed a bit angry there and I was like I, I don't know how you got that I didn't even speak in that meeting or whatever it's 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 really it's it's exhausting to have to sift through all of the 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 kind of nuggets of I guess to use a weird metaphor to use sift through the nuggets of gold in amongst all the sand and garbage and gravel and nonsense it's just it is it's t it's tough and it's yeah exhausting something you said earlier really resonated and reminded me of when i've been mentoring women both black and white women the amount of comments i've had where people have said i was asked to change my hair Ugh. 
It's inappropriate. And also the, the rationale that they've been given is so they feel more professional. So they look Yeah, more but corporate. this thing about professional, there's words that are coded words and you need to take them with a pinch of salt because they're coded words for oppression. And one of them is professional. To be clear, there are some professional means how you should show up at work. So there are some things beyond time, this sort of thing that you need to do in order to be at work. There are other things that are coded as professional, which mean behave the way that if a white person does at work or behave the way that a man does at work. It's based on the fact that actually if you have a very patriarchal white supremacist workplace, of course, your concept of what professional is, is coded in patriarching white supremacy. And therefore, if you're a woman, if you're a person of colour, if you are a black woman, you will never ever in a million years meet those standard of professionalism because professionalism is coded in something that you can never be based on who you are. And and then when they're giving you that misleading feedback on little bits of your um, appearance, what they're trying to do in fact, and what they end up doing is just stripping away who you are. But for black people, when you're given comments about your hair, our hair is part of who we are. We shouldn't have to kind of change ourselves to aspire to European beauty norms and European hairstyles just to be able to get ahead at work. That's a fundamental sign of kind of just eroding sort of part of who you are. And I think that's really important that people understand the difference and call it out. There was a, a campaign a couple of, oh, a number of years ago now called Afro Visibility that was all about this. It was all about as a billboard campaign that was beautiful, just showed uh, black women with natural hair in like the workplace and and that's it. And it was just really, was really gorgeous and really powerful um, because it did aim to speak directly to this point. I'm fascinated by this whole area of language and codifying what certain words mean. Um, I hadn't personally realised quite the depth in the word professional. It, it's it's really done my head in when it's used in a really like inappropriate way over the years. Mm. Another one is fit. Good fit. fit. So when people I was say, say you're not what's a good another fit, one. Another one, yes. <laughs> There's another one that is, yeah, so if people is professional, another one, they're not a good fit. That's another coded word. Because again, it's these words, and to be clear, it can mean many myriad of things, but the idea of these very big, vague things is that it, it again, is a coded word for you do not fit into kind of our culture and ways of working. And quite often that fit will be down to you look different. And normally that will be down to some a facet of someone's identity and this idea. So it's a, again, it's, it's a word that is used to codify and hide systems of oppression within this idea of fit. If I look back and think about when I've interviewed people and they haven't quite worked, I might have used that word. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I did. But I wouldn't have thought anything other than that actually they're not suitable for the role. And that's right. So now what we do, because because it, you know, it's one of those things, like professional, as I said, there are some things that are the behaviours that are a professional, as I said to you. But mm. we need to be clear on what those are so that we can make sure we're not hiding within those, like, you know, things that actually are just as boxing out people from a certain background or identity. Mm. So when you say good fit now, I mean, it's funny. And also the other thing I go is, the more I'm pretty sure I use those words too, because I've I, once I've been a hiring manager, I've used them. The more you know, the more you, the better you do. So Absolutely. of course now I wouldn't use those words. What I would be is specific about, so when they say not a good fit, what we say instead is you need to be specific about what that is. Because when you're specific, you can look, then you'll be able to see if you've put something on there that is basically boxing 
um, a whole group of people based on an identity. So I'll give you an, uh, an example. Like if you went, oh, I'm not a good fit. And then when you put out your criteria of what fit is, it's like, well, actually, they don't have uh, a degree from X, one of these universities. And you're like, OK, but then that's a, that's that's an oppressive characteristic, right? Because actually only certain people can get into those universities. So you're boxing it out. So you can see how it it's not... Um, what we need in these things we just need to challenge ourselves to be Mm. specific in our language and how we're framing it to make sure so because it it helps and it it kind of exposes it to ourselves when we just leave it short at these really open vague it allows people to use them to embed kind of their own biases their systems of oppression you know biases driven and based on systems of oppression within it if that makes sense yeah yeah it really does make you think and i think the more you're equipped to realise what codes might be there, the more hopefully you're going to make the right choice. 100%. I yeah. love that. It's definitely yeah, made me think. Yeah, and actually, you, we should think about it. And there's a luxury in, oh, I don't have to think about that. It, it, you, we need to really question that. Some people, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, people will get into certain spaces or certain roles or certain seniority and they'll be like, oh, I've never had to think about that. And you're like, I mean, really? I mean, when you're the level you are, you've never had to think about that. That will tell us volumes. Particularly if you're what you're hiring people, you, you should be thinking about it. Like it's in the defaults and the not thinking and the assumptions. That's where biases and these very discriminatory habits and these norms that are just based on the system of oppression, that's where they all live. They live in kind of lazy, default, assumptive thinking. That's where they yeah. live. So actually the way to counter it is by being intentional, being thoughtful. And as you said, by equipping ourselves, I love that. Like that equipping it is exactly how I feel about it. It's like you equip yourself so you know when you're ready. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's really made me think, and I think it will make a lot of people think, which is as far as I'm concerned, the reason we do this, right? (laughs) I just want to take you back. When you were talking about, you know, that that first time going into school, that time when you were eight years old, how did that time make you feel? How did it impact you? The really... i tell you what it did do. It made me withdraw. So I used to be, (laughs) believe it or not, I was super introverted as a child. And the more this stuff happened, the more introverted I got. And I was having a chat actually at the weekend with my mum about it because we were talking about my choir. And she was like, I love that you're doing this stuff. And, you know, as a child, I, you know, I always pushed you to do this because it makes you more confident and that sort of thing. And, and she's right, she did. They pushed me to do stuff to make sure that I didn't just kind of withdraw into myself altogether because it did make me withdraw. And, and what it meant was that I would withdraw and then I would seek solace and only show myself and be myself when I was around, like, my family and our closest friends. That's where I would... So I would just reserve these parts of myself I still I mean I don't particularly now I don't love crowds I don't love um weirdly I say this <laughs> my friend this is gonna sound awful but I'm always like Ugh, I don't like people like, <laughs> when I say this like it makes me sound terrible and it's weird because people are like oh, I think you're a super people person and I've had to learn that because my default is I'm like, I'm there. I'm the person in the corner looking at it. Oh, I, don't, I don't really like you. I don't know. I like, I don't know you like that. I won't like you. So that's my default. I've worked really hard to like to get over that, particularly in what we do. You can't really be like that. So yeah, it did make me withdraw into myself. And then I remember there's a point when like shaved head is like the normal now, right? But I remember there was a time when that was becoming a fashion choice as opposed to a political choice. 
And I remember having a very visceral reaction the first time I saw a white man with a shaved head in a context where I was unfamiliar because I associated that with a very certain type of person. And I remember having this really bizarre reaction. And then I remembered it. And I remembered that incident, which I kind of forgotten about. And I remembered it. And then I forgot about that kind of incident again. And then I was on a, oh, I was, this is horrendous, but I was on a panel in like 2020 and it was meant to be talking about someone probably like B2B marketing or something. And out of the out of the flu, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Shade, like the shade. I am. Um, so I was on this panel and to talk about the role of brands in B two B marketing, which is a very interesting subject. It is a very interesting subject. But I and think you're going to say something. Yeah, and I was gonna, and I was a bit. It was, it was in 2020, and I remember, and I, and that was the panel. The panel. And out of um, the blue, the person unprompted, not one of the prescripted questions went, so can you remember the first time you ever experienced racism? And just on, and this was on a live recording and I was like, I mean, we hadn't agreed that that's what we we're going to talk about, but it was in probably in around June 2020 and I don't understand. It was very, like I was, and not only was I really shocked, but immediately, of course, they asked the question and I remembered it on the panel in on the panel in the middle of this thing and I didn't I did not describe it at that point now you know I can, I'm very we've talked about it I'm very comfortable sharing that here in this context but I didn't share it I just sort of looked quite shocked and then I went I'm sorry I don't feel comfortable answering that like this uh, and then really we I think the panel kind of wrapped up quite quickly after that but it Good was for you. yeah because I yeah yeah that, but that's a, it's a learned thing as well like the learning of you know when you said sort of what makes you uncomfortable Saying no can make everybody feel quite uncomfortable. But as a person from a minoritized or multiple, lots of minoritized, different minoritized communities, you have to get very comfortable in not prioritizing other people's comfort at the expense of your safety. Yeah, at this point, which that is a very unsafe. It's not appropriate for that moderator to ask me for deep traumatic experience of racism when we're here to talk about B2B marketing. Now, I'm not the only person that happened to that happened quite a lot in 2020. I was I've been at events and I observed that happening and it's quite horrendous, but it did happen. There is a way of holding safe spaces to talk through this. That's not the time. And springing it on people, it's not it's not okay. No, and assuming that somebody because they're a black person, person of colour, is going to be comfortable sharing racism on your, just, you know, for your ridiculous event is beyond, no, that's not a thing. It's almost because it was that time. Yeah. We need to discuss it, so let's let's pinpoint that, which is just so inappropriate. Outrageous, on every level, very, completely, completely inappropriate, completely inappropriate, like, the result of that harmful space, it may be withdrawal, so it's very interesting we need to be aware of the impact because it can happen at any time. So just like when I was a kid, I just withdrew immediately. That was exactly my instinct was to do exactly the same thing, just withdraw. Can you pinpoint a moment recently that made you feel truly uncomfortable? Yeah, a moment that made me feel uncomfortable recently. Okay, this isn't that recently, but maybe it was last last, last, last year. In the line of what we said, so remind me, we work with organisations to help them embed anti-racism into their brand strategy. That's that's what we do. It's a big, not the only thing we do, but it's a big part of our work. And I remember last year this happened where I was working with a specific organisation, and I was working on with this specific organisation. 
And as part of our work, we do listening exercises, we do stakeholder interviews, and particularly we create very safe spaces for people within organisations to share their lived experiences of racism. So we understand how racism is showing up in brands, in in the wider organisation than in the brand. So then we can work on what we need to do to do stuff differently. And so in this specific organisation, this the black women within the organisation were highlighting a specific pattern of behaviour of the organisation and then maybe a couple of leaders within that organisation. There was a specific, and to be clear, a specific pattern of racist behaviours. And that was one of the big ways that racism showed up is this pattern of behaviour, repeated pattern of behaviours. No matter who these black women were, all the black women were kind of experiencing this same pattern of behaviours. And it's one to observe. So then in playing this back to the leadership team, I'm sharing this pattern of behaviours and I'm sharing anonymised, of course, not sharing, oh, what's so-and-so, it's not, you know, it's my vehicle as a consultant brought in to be able to share objectively. And then one of the specific members of that leadership team started giving feedback and it was kind of a bit weird. And the feedback started to maybe question and challenge my credentials, authority. It was a very challenging response. And I, and I suddenly realised that this leader was demonstrating exactly the same racist behaviours that black women within the organisation were experiencing. I was like, it was very uncomfortable because I was like, hang on a minute, I'm a black woman, so suddenly I'm experiencing this same... Not that I think I'm above racism, of course not, but I'm like, this pattern of behaviour is so built into the organisation that even as a consultant, you are then paying to help you tackle racism... I'm experiencing this same, same thing. And and wow. to be clear, this, you know, obviously the, the that pattern of behaviour was not just one one person saying one thing. That what what was being said was an example of that same pattern of racist behaviours. And I was like, it was wildly uncomfortable. It was really gave me pause for thought. And also it was really challenging to think about how I was going to tackle it because tackle it because it, you know, at one point, normally as a consultant, you can kind of step outside and you can look at it from the outboard. I then wasn't able to do that because I'm once experiencing it. That was really weird, really, really uncomfortable. Did you offer the gift that is feedback in that scenario? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. It, it's hard. I know that when you do kind of anti-racism and, and wider equity work, it's really important that you have professional safe spaces where mm. you can join with other people doing the work. So, And that's really important. So I was able to use one of those spaces to sort of talk it through and think about how I might tackle it. And I did. So I, I fed back. And I was like, actually, I don't think, you know, there's a difference between discomfort and harmful. And I was like, but if I'm going to go back to this person, that's going to veer on the harmful for me as a black woman. I, mm. I'm not. So then I went to one of their peers who was very invested in the anti-racism work and would get it. So I, I, you know, I spoke to them. I said, like, first of all, confidentially. And then we together worked on a way to kind of approach it. I then documented it in the report and audit that I was doing and undocumented, not not the specifics, but I was like, actually, this is the pattern of behaviour. And no matter who or where you are in the organisation and even outside the organisation, this is what's experienced and this is why I documented it there, presented it back. And then after time had elapsed, then went back to the person and said, once I had the document, this is an example of a behaviour that has been shown within your leadership team. So I went back to the collective of the leadership team. Um, and, and that was it. And that was, but it was in that order. I couldn't go back directly straight away to the leadership team. It would have been deeply unsafe. I would have just gone in there. It might have even exposed myself to more of this. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I need to, first of all, 
identify to create safety for myself again and reestablish that. I need to seek kind of healing spaces off the back of like going into like my, you know, practitioner space that I've got and, and, and talking through. So I understand and can process this from a healing point of view. And then I can go and address it through that gift that is feedback. Good for you. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Now, I can't have you on our pod without talking about what's been filling my LinkedIn feed all over and many of my network as well. Join our table that you're co-founder of. Tell us all about it. Oh, it's, it is the most joyous thing, actually. Like, uh, it looks so join beautiful us, yeah, from an outsider. It's really, I mean, God, for me on a personal level, it's just this most immense pride on a number of levels. So, so Join Our Table is an initiative to celebrate black women in the advertising, media, marketing, communication industries. Um, it came from a moment or a few conversations when we were in Cannes where we noted that there was any number of brilliant conversations happening about increasing representation and some activities happening around that. But we noted that there were few black women on the stages and being celebrated. And if they were, there tends to be a lot of celebrities, actually, like celebrities. And then, and certainly then, if if out of a few, even fewer black British women in these spaces. So that was the first realisation. The second realisation was just from us that all met, the few of us that met there and then meeting others, we were like, there's this joy that comes together when we kind of, we join together and we see each other. Even in these spaces, we see each other. And like, we, we were like, you know, walking down the croisette and like you'd spot a black woman and be like, hey. And I remember meeting a couple of people and then I'm like, actually someone super senior, this person doing this. And I was like, how do we not know about each other? So that's where the conversation started from. And we'd all collectively, as the co-founders, we'd all had these experiences with each other, but also wider, but we'd all had these common shared experiences and we'd all noted the same thing. So we knew that the theme of Black History Month was saluting our sisters. So we thought, actually, it's really good to do something in UK Black History Month that starts it. To be clear, this is not just a Black History Month campaign. It's way bigger. But we wanted to start something. So we thought, what what is a vehicle where we can, within our capacity, we all have very busy day jobs doing other things. But what can we do to start kickstart this this celebration of black women in our industry and so and then it and then we had this idea of we were talking about what it means to have a seat at the table and the fact first of all it started off as oh you know black women don't seem to have a seat at this table but then we're like even if you do it comes with caveats and all the conversation we've just been having Mm. and and so we wanted a space that is about creating not just creating our own table but celebrating other people's tables and what they're doing and this just this celebratory movement and that's what join our table is so we've been spotlighting amazing women on social media we are in the process of building a website to house these and so people can a resource that people can come to to find amazing black women for you know events speaking whatever you know they're looking for because one of the excuses that's used is we just don't know we can't find anybody is always used i'm like well you will be able to because soon there's going to be our website join our table that's a poor excuse yeah. though isn't oh it's it? very poor i, I mean, mean I, it's very poor to be, to be clear we ain't we ain't creating this for that for people for that excuse it's just if you are making that excuse we're going to remove that like we're another yet another way of removing that because there are many platforms that do the same thing but our ethos and everything we do is about this celebration so we've also had the billboard campaign which was to celebrate and 
amplify just to make black women in the industry just feel seen like mm. so the billboard campaign is just lovely messages queens we see you that sort of thing yeah, it gorgeous. features all of the eight founders that's time because we had to turn this around very quickly we had like a month to six weeks to turn it around before we wanted it to kick off at the start of black history month so yeah that's what it is i would also say i'll add to this by saying obviously we've had to do a lot of this for pro bono but we also wanted to make sure that we created opportunities for black women within it so our photographer is a black woman the campaign creative was done by a black female owned agency called Brand By Me. <laughs> Yourself. <laughs> and, and um and so Brand By Me is one of the the first and it is the first sponsor yeah. of this initiative during our, our awesome. table initiative and, and I, I felt so that's the initiative on a very personal level. I this is something that's super important to me is is to I put it in my my vision when I applied for what is now a Wackle Talent Award at the time was a Wackle Future Leaders Award. It was like I want to show up for black women as, as kind of black women is my personal vision. I want to show up for black women. So it was super important for me to use our resources to be able to deliver this and do something amazing. And and the people have just said it's really nice. Like the campaign's been out and they're like, oh my God, someone's like, I, I, you know, we've just had loads of really good feedback. Like, oh my God, it's amazing. We love it. It's so joyful. People are like, oh my God. The, the week where it turned like really, it went from that beautiful sun to really grey and drizzly. That was where our campaign suddenly launched like the six sheets. And people are like, oh my gosh, it's such a pop of colour on dreary London streets. And it's just been really nice. And it is actually a national campaign as well. We're really grateful for, you know, outdoor sponsors mm. that have been able to give us free space. So yeah. and then we've been using that to its fullest. You, you know, have you're everywhere, impact. and yeah. it's it's really wonderful to see, and it's it's just made me smile and um and feel joy, and I can just see the joy like exuding out of you, which is which is really gorgeous to yeah, see. Yeah, we're all super proud of it. Yeah, and you should be. It's incredible. What can we do to help? I think the first thing is actually is amplify when we see stuff, particularly the social media campaign. Obviously. This is something we want to continue beyond October. So there's a couple of things. One is amplifying that. I think if you, everybody, you know, brilliant black women in this industry, you know, reach out via um, Join Our Table. So we're at, I think, at Join Our Table 1, which is very snappy on Instagram, but that's what you can get. You know how this works with these social media handles. So we're at Join Our Table 1 or the URL is joinourtable.today. So reaching out to us if you are a brilliant black woman in the industry because we'd love to spotlight you and we're still, you know, we've got, we, we've got, you know, social media to fill and we can do these profiles and we've got other stuff planned. And then obviously I said Brand By Me is the first headline sponsor. We don't want it to be the last. Um, we're, a, you know, a small business and we're doing this. So, you know, if you are interested in kind of sponsorship, we would love to chat to you because we've got loads of ideas. But as you know, in this world, we need resources to make those yeah. happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully being on this pod and talking about it now might amplify it yeah. a little and I hope we do. And anything I can do personally, I'd, oh, I'd be delighted to. I think it's amazing. Yeah, and that. that kind of brings us to the, the end of the conversation, oh. which I feel like we could just go on talking <laughs> forever. And it's just been so fascinating. I've certainly felt uncomfortable at times, which is a good thing. It's made me think hugely and I reckon it will make lots of other people think you really are an inspiration so thank you Colette for joining us on the prickly chair thank you thanks (laughs) for having me so I'm Gemma Greaves and Are You Sitting Uncomfortably is a Fresh Air production and the producers are the lovely Izzy Clark and Clara Kavanagh if you've enjoyed this podcast then please do me a massive favour and follow us recommend us 
And if you're feeling really kind, leave us a review. We do read all of them and we're incredibly grateful. The good, the bad and the ugly. Of course, it's better to have the good. The bigger the following, the more opportunity to have the best guests. And I want to continue having these uncomfortable conversations with incredible people like Colette. Thank you so much. <laughs>